All right, let's do this. Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table, especially our next incredible guest, who joins us today to talk about the intersection between race and sports, mental health, leadership, equality, social injustice, and white privilege. So grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage, and let's do this together in the Sports Deli. We're so honored on this 26th day of Mental Health Awareness Month to be joined by broadcaster, journalist, academic director, team executive, and agent, not to mention father and husband, Andrew Brandt. He played competitive tennis and basketball growing up, and he was usually the only white guy that would be selected, not to mention the last one picked, on the team when he would play street ball in Washington, D.C., He loved the Redskin games and went to them with his dad growing up. He grew up with Julia Scarlett Elizabeth Louise Dreyfus, who was best known for her role on Seinfeld as Elaine. He graduated from Stanford and later earned his law degree from Georgetown University. And he caught a break early on in his career, as you'll hear later, as a sports agent where he went to work for the people that used to run the tennis tournaments he used to play in as a kid. He worked with Michael Jordan and alongside Patrick Ewing, but it was his forward thinking that allowed him to start working with NFL players while working for his mentor, none other than David Falk, Michael Jordan's agent at the time. In 1992, at age 28, he became the youngest general manager of the World League of American Football's Barcelona Dragons. He had a chance to go to work for Master P, but then in 1999, he decided that he wanted to be the Packers, yes, the Green Bay Packers, director of player finance, football operations because they wanted an agent to be able to deal with other agents when signing and renegotiating players. But it was during his son's 10th birthday at Lambeau Field that he realized he didn't want to live this kind of life anymore because he felt like he was missing out on his kids' lives. He then moved to Philly and started nationalfootballpost.com. And for the last nine years, he's been the executive director of the Jeffrey Morad Center for the Study of Sports Law and Professor of Practice at Villanova University. He then worked for ESPN and did ESPN Live while making many other appearances. And he's now considered one of the top sports media insiders in the industry, bringing credibility, intelligence, and experienced insight as ESPN's business and legal analyst. Brand appears regularly on all platforms of ESPN, including Outside the Lines, Sports Center, NFL Insiders, and NFL Live and as well as multiple ESPN radio programs. Brant provides unique perspectives on the league and player negotiations, policy questions, player finance, and other key business and legal aspects of sports. Brant is also a weekly columnist on the business of football for Sports Illustrated's football-centric website, the mmqb.com, and makes periodic contributions to Sports Illustrated magazine. His columns have become a must-read for sports industry executives and fans alike. He was a hard ass early in his career and alienated and, and got over on a lot of other agents, but he paid the price for it later and regretted it. He has a podcast called The Business of Sports. I love listening to him on Clubhouse, in particular on Breakfast with Champions, where we've had a number of guests. He loves athleticgreens.com because he's a triathlete and he's got to stay in amazing shape. He believes in diversifying, being unique, never getting complacent, and continuing to grow. He has his Sunday 7, which he'll talk about later. You can find him on social media, which he loves, if it's used correctly. 
on Instagram at Andrew Brandt. Brandt is with a D in there. It's silent. Andrew Brandt, B-R-A-N-D-T, and the number two, at Andrew Brandt 2, and on Twitter, at Andrew Brandt, and on his website, andrew-brandt.com. Andrew, we can't thank you enough for joining us today here in the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Hello. What's up, counselor? Hey, Michael. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks. That's funny. The Packers and the Broncos are on the NFL Network right now. They are. Yeah. (laughs) It's hilarious. So uh, we both have something in common. Uh, We both played uh, basketball and tennis, which is really an odd combination if, if you think about it in all of our years you don't really see that that combination and so I, I know what it's taught me but I'm curious uh, looking back on it you know one sport is a privileged sport and one is sort of a universal sport and I'm just wondering you know looking back on it, what you've learned from each of those sports that uh, has brought you to where you are today yeah it's an interesting question um, you're right growing up I was a tennis player in Washington DC and I was playing in tournaments never really a country club kid, but I always got into sort of playing local tournaments. I was a ball boy every summer for the, um, at that time, I think it was called the Sovereign Bank Tournament in Washington, DC. So I got into it that way, kind of playing, not so much on public courts, but it would be like uh, courts of coaches, courts of people that were in competition. And then there's that dichotomy you talked about, because I lived in DC, we moved from right outside of DC, Chevy Chase, Maryland, to the city. And I would take my ball and go find a court. And even in a nice part of DC in terms of, uh, I don't know, it seemed to be a very diverse part of Washington, DC. When I got to the basketball courts, I was the only white kid. (laughs) And it was always that situation. Uh, So I was kind of navigating between these two worlds growing up where I would go to play basketball. Now I'm not talking about school, I would go to play basketball and I would always be the, the only white kid on the courts. Then he'd go to play tennis. And of course, it was probably all white kids at that point. Um, right. So, yeah, it was it, I think it sort of taught me and my father taught me a lot about this, too, because my father worked in construction mm-hmm. and he was always moving between racially diverse worlds. Tell me to be able to handle that. And I, I think that really helped me in navigating my career in sports, too. Man, that is fascinating. A short little white guy like me as well. It should be noted, right? (laughs) I tell this story that one of my moments and great moments in life, you know, you have these moments. I got to that court one time and they were picking teams, right? So everyone was trying to avoid picking me. (laughs) So one team, one team just had to like, okay. And so all of a sudden, I'll never forget as long as I live, I get the ball. And everyone's backed off. No one's covering me. But I drive. And I go around three guys. And I make a great layup. And the game just stops. It just <laughs> stopped. And then the three words I'll never forget. The, one, the leader of the team said, Shorty can ride. <laughs> and so I always think, you know, when I'm down in the dumps, I'm like, Shorty can ride. Shorty can ride. It was a great moment. Shout A. Oh, man, that is hilarious. Well, I'm from Detroit, so I can relate. Uh, I'm the yeah. last white guy that ever played on my high school team in 1987. There has not been one since. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and it's confirmed by my uh, Hall of Fame coach from Michigan, uh, Howard Golding, who was also on the podcast. So, yeah, interesting yeah. stuff. A lot of similarities there. So 
you go to Stanford, uh, you know, after your scholastic uh, career. And, uh, you know, I coach, should be noted, I, I coach, some, some of the people know this, but I coached uh, intercollegiate tennis for uh, close to 20 years. So yeah. obviously I have a passion for it. You know, it was different back then. You know, we used to watch tennis sort of as a family. I don't know if you guys did that as well, but it was just fun to watch the majors together. And, you know, I know for me, I developed a, a real keen eye. Yeah. And I really think it helped me as a college basketball coach later, analytically, you know, really understand how to, you know, deal with point construction and redirecting things yeah. and emotional intelligence. And so there, there was a lot for me that I learned playing tennis besides smashing my racket many times when I was younger. <laughs> me too. So, and I went out to Stanford. I was not good enough to play for Stanford, but to see that level, you know, I never saw that level on East Coast tennis. Right where they're the best team in the country and they're playing against Cal and playing against SC and UCLA. And Amazing. like, wow. I mean, this is just another level of tennis. And I was lucky because I was the same age as a, the McEnroe brother that nobody knows, Mark McEnroe. Wow. John was older and Patrick was younger. Huh. And uh, I mean, Mark played on the team, but he certainly won the level of, of his brothers. But what was interesting for me is because I kind of played on this kind of JV practice right. team and, and John would come back, you know, huh. John had played the one year and he went on, but he would come back and see his brother and hit with him. So it was kind of cool. Wow. That's fascinating. I'd never heard that story. He's never even talked about him on the air. Really? That's yeah. really incredible. Wow. Fascinating stuff. So, so you go to Stanford, I uh, imagine you had a good time there and um, then you decide you know, after contemplating tennis to go to Georgetown Law. And the, the question I have for you, and I've heard you, uh, you know, on a number of podcasts, I've heard you on Breakfast with Champions, and, you know, you're, you're incredibly inspiring, and your, your journey is amazing. But what, what do you teach your uh, law students now, you know, after going through your journey, you know, uh, as a sort of a, as an advisor now at Villanova, so that they don't make some of the same mistakes that you made when you were in your younger years? That's a great question. You know, I try to be a mentor in, in sort of um, what I do as much as what I say. And what I mean by that is obviously I'm there to teach them. I'm there to teach them sports law, teach them sports business and be an advisor on their schooling and then their academics. But there's a handful of kids and these are kids. They're 25, 24, 25 years old, second and third year law students. Where, yeah, I get, I wouldn't say the word close, but I do feel a more of a responsibility to them. These are kids that have come to Villanova because of me. And that's a lot of responsibility. You know, that the reason they're at that law school is because of me. They want to learn from under me. They want my tutelage. They want my mentorship. And what I constantly tell them is just... You know, what someone at Stanford told me that I'll never forget is just allow for serendipity in your life and don't be so linear. And I know a lot of young people are like, I'm going to get this, especially law students. I'm going to work for this big firm. I'm going to make $200,000 coming out. I'm going to be a partner in six years and my life's set. Mm. And I'm like, don't think like that. And I my experience is, is the best way for them to learn it. I never thought in a million years I would ever live in a place like Green Bay, Wisconsin, hmm. or Barcelona, Spain, or work for ESPN, or work for the Packers, the Eagles, Sports Illustrated, you know, just nothing like that sort of came to mind. But 
those things happened and I allowed for it. You know, I let, I got myself and I said, okay. One time I said, okay, I'm going to leave players and go to Barcelona, Spain. Mm-hmm. Like you got to take a big jump, a leap to do that. Or I'm going to leave players. Well, not, and go to- not only that, to, to do it at 20, 28 years old. Yeah. And I just have always felt like, you know, you've, you've got to be, life is a meandering path. It's like I said, it's not linear. You got to be willing to be flexible and move around and not only move around physically, but move around in your career and move around, see the tributaries that are open to you. And that's where you find opportunity. So I would imagine now that you can identify, you know, similar to how you had two people on your podcast recently, or people that are similar to you, where you were more of a cutthroat, you know, kind of person in your early days, you know, or you notice somebody who maybe is going down a similar path where you decided while you were in Green Bay, you, you had to finally step away, even though it's a dream job, you know, on paper, because you were missing your son's birthday party. Yeah. And you didn't want to, you know, have to navigate those spaces anymore, because especially in the younger years, as you and I both know, being parents, those are the ones that you, you really want to be a part of. So, you know, having said that, um, you know, we've had Jay Billis on, we've had Kelsey Trainer, we've had, um, you know, Craig Escherich, we've had a lot of lawyers on. Yeah. And it, it can it can suck you in, whether you're in the sports space like me as a college basketball coach or as, you know, an agent when you were working for David and, you know, Michael Jordan was, you know, something that you were navigating early on in your career, you know, and then later football players, you know, you created a space that wasn't, you know, in a niche that wasn't something that he was, you know, um, privy to and you, you know, you really took off from there and your art of negotiation. And so I'm just curious, you know, from that perspective, um, as I asked you earlier about what you learned from those two sports, you know, looking back on it, why are you a better advisor now because of things that you've gained and lost? It's a great question. And I'm glad you, yeah, we are talking on the heels of two of my students interviewing me. We just thought I'd do a different podcast for my podcast. Yeah, it was awesome. I appreciate that. I think, yeah, you mentioned David Falk. One thing I didn't talk about with them that I'll share here is that you learn from your your mentors and hopefully those kids and a lot of mothers are learning from me as a mentor about how to operate, how you live your life, what's important. I David, David Falk may be one of the best negotiators in the history of sports, but I could never do that. I could never be the way he was which is a little more dogmatic in negotiations, a little more taking leverage and using it in a hard way where he always had the leverage of the best player in history. So he had Michael and the way he used Michael to get things for other players was so advantageous Mm -hmm. to those other players, but I could never do that. For example, we're in a negotiation with, I forget the the team, it might've been San Antonio Spurs and we're stuck, you know, we're at loggerheads on this player. I won't name the player. Mm-hmm. And at one point, David says to the head of the Spurs, you know, if we don't get the number we want here, I just think, you know, maybe Michael's going to be sick that one night a year he plays the Spurs. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what? I'm thinking to myself, what did he just say? And our adversary is just like, what did you just say? And, he, and he's fretting and everything. And I, when I, when they, we took a coffee break, I went out was in the hallway with David. I'm like, did you really say that? I'm like, he goes, yeah. He goes, would Michael really do that? He goes, no. 
<laughs> I said, would Michael be sick for a game, his one game a year in San Antonio? No, of course not. It's, it's negotiating. It's leverage. And I'm, and I'm sure enough, you know, we got a great deal for that other player. Amazing. I could never do that, you know, right. and I would, ne- I think I'm a pretty good negotiator, but I would never sort of go there. It just wasn't a way for me to operate. And you sort of pick up things along your way in life. Um, I picked up a lot from the guy who hired me in Green Bay, Ron Wolf. Yeah, Ron. Who was just a different kind of leader. He didn't say a lot. Mm-hmm. There'd be times, you know, his, all these football people, they're in their element when they're in a dark room looking at film. Yeah. And there'd be times, you know, he'd let me sit with him and it would just be quiet and I'm looking over in the dark, maybe he's asleep. <laughs> and then he just says something like, oh my God, he's right. You know, where some little thing about a defensive end coming off the edge and look and, and making this, I'm like, wow. And he's like, that's rare. You know, that guy would go really high in the draft. That's rare. And I'm like, yeah, like I would never see that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of looking at the, at the nuances and the angles. And yeah, you pick up things from leaders along the way. Fascinating. So between your dad and, and David and Ron, uh, your kids, your wife, you, yeah. you, you really learn to trust your authentic self. It's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think it is. And I'll share that story again that I shared with my students where I'm riding around in Green Bay one day and my little boys, they were little at the time, now they're grown. We're in the back seat and there's car seats and uh, I am stressed. I, I don't even know about what. Maybe it's one of Brett's retirements, but I am stressed. And my wife is like, what is so, what's so wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. And the cap and my legacy here. And she says, your legacy, your legacy is in the back seat. Mm. That's your legacy. Mm. And it just kind of, those kind of comments just bring you in, back into, into where you should be. Yeah, man. Props to the wife, flowers to her. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, let me pivot. Show a little bit of agility here as a defensive back. Yeah. Here, here in the sports deli. So I'm sure you've heard the news about Colin. I've, I've been uh, advocating for this, whether we had Jim Trotter on, Andre Risen, you know, former Packer, uh, you know, Ryan Harris, a lot of people we've had from, you know, the NFL in here. And I've been hopeful. Uh, obviously, he's going to go down in history in one way, but, you know, uh, I was hoping that he would get this opportunity. And man, I got to tell you, if, if he makes the Raiders roster, I am absolutely getting a Raiders jersey with Kaepernick on the back of it. Sure. Um, but what was your initial feeling about it when you found out that a white military individual was the one that advised him? And then what are your feelings now after six years later? Yeah, a lot to unpack here. And I, I, I noticed your, uh, your shirt and your hat right away. I mean, Uh, I think he was probably one of the most, if not the most talked about player for like four or five years in the NFL without playing a single snap. Just think about that. Um, When it happened, I was just kind of, I thought like a lawyer. I really did. I remember I'm like, so what, what is the, what is the policy? What is the policy? And then sure enough, Twitter, the NFL tweeted out this one line, like the NFL, uh, I think the words were recommends but does not require standing for the national anthem so then i went into lawyer mode i'm like okay he's good Mm -hmm. there's no problem and i looked up the nba they require i looked up the nhl they require the nfl did not require right so i didn't realize what it was going to become Uh, i just said okay 
<laughs> that's their policy. He should do it. I'm surprised no other players have, but you know, fine. And then it became this whole different thing. I, I was with ESPN a lot of that time, um, Mike, and, and I got, I got frustrated because what happens in media is they were telling me all the time, you know, I, let's go do this hit. Let's go do this hit. It's going to be about anthem protests. And I would say to the producers, it's not really about anthem protests. It's about inequities and it's about brutality and it's about unequal treatment. And they'd say, no, no, anthem protests. That's what'll sell. That's, that'll get us ratings. And then it just became this whole thing. And I covered it into collusion suit and I covered uh, his one day tryout in Atlanta. And it was just a feeling like this had become something, I don't know, divisive. And as everyone now knows, it was extremely divisive, fans flamed by the former president. And, um, and then that week in 2017, where owners and players locked arms, but I said at the time, this is great, but this won't last. The owners are going to want to get back to business, get politics out of it. I was in Green Bay for a game up then, and uh, I, I talked to Aaron, and Aaron was sympathetic to Kaepernick, and that was causing problems with the Wisconsin fan base at the time. So I guess what I'm saying is he's a polarizing guy. I'm not sure exactly why, um, because he was doing it within policy. It was never about the anthem. Right. And as you said, he consulted with military. Uh, about it, and this became an anti-military thing somehow. So I don't get it. Spinning it to present, I, I am hopeful like you are that they sign him. I don't think they will. I think from a football point of view, it's, I, I don't think anyone can name the last player. I certainly can't. That signed up five years of not playing. I just don't see that happening. Do I think he's one of the, say each team has three quarterbacks. Do I think he's one of the best 100 quarterbacks in the NFL? Yeah. But teams, as you know, are not going to sign second or third string players that have stuff around them. Like for your second and third stringers, they're just faces. They should not be creating attention. And now maybe the Raiders are different and maybe they're going to buck the trend. But my experience with football is that it's fine if your stars get attention it's not fine if you're non-stars do. Yeah, don't let him start having a bad quarter if he's the backup because the crowd yeah. is going to lose their mind. And uh, so to your point, that could be very problematic or interesting or historic. We won't know that until, you know, we find out, you know, how his trial, I'm sure his trial is going to go fine. It's just a matter of whether or not they want to move forward because right. he's obviously very talented. Um, so let me ask you now to the present moment, because I've been very critical, if you've vetted me at all, about uh, retired and current white quarterbacks who have not used their platform in a way where I feel like they should be from the goat to Troy, Tony, uh, Aaron, even, even though Aaron at least paused during an interview semi-recently and said that, you know, to your point that he is sympathetic and at least mentioned it, uh, Big Ben, Eli Payton, and none of them really have been public in terms of their support for Black Lives Matter. And I'm not talking about necessarily the initial group of Black Lives Matter, but just the fact that Black Lives Matter. And so it's frustrating to me that I, I can't for the life of me understand what their platform, how collectively all of those guys have so many blind spots and don't do more than simply acknowledge the end racism on the back of the helmets and the back of the end zones. So do you have any comments about or frustrations or understanding of why they may not I be certainly. saying anything? Yeah. I understand when your frustrations, 
uh, now I sort of put on my agent hat. And yeah. if I'm representing one of these top players that have such a following, that have such a marketing profile, that have such an endorsement profile, I have to say, I get it. They're going to continue to be safe. And safe is the word that you're not going to upset your sponsors. You're not going to get into areas where it's going to be delicate in terms of whether you continue to have your platform or not. And this is what I think is going on. Whether they're empathetic or not, whether they believe that they should be more racially supportive or not, I just think they're thinking in terms of safety. Like, let's take a position that's safe. And I see, you see this throughout social media where athletes and entertainers take a position, maybe get supported on social media for doing so, but it's safe. You know, it's safe. It's not getting into areas like you're talking about. It's like, yeah, you know, when something happens to a George Floyd, everybody's up in arms, but those things fade. And then where are you later? You know, is anybody coming out and supporting Kaepernick right now as he's getting a tryout? That was right. cool for a while, but now he's out of the news and he's not in favor. You know, he's not in the same situation as he was. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I agree with you. I don't think that's going to change. It's, it's, it's not, not what it should be. Yeah, it's, it's uh, besides frustrating, it's just disappointing. It's sad. Uh, it's a humanity issue. You know, and when people like Drew Brees have an opportunity, despite his conservative uh, beliefs, to say something is wrong in Louisiana when a senator makes a comment about excluding African-Americans as a part of the numbers after what he did, and he has an opportunity to have people see him in a different light or Tom, whose brand would never be damaged, has yeah. a chance to speak out um, despite your political beliefs and not putting that up on the shelf, so to speak, and just treating it as a humanity issue. I just can't for the life of me understand uh, that, and I never will. Yeah, I mean, Tom Brady, uh, first of all, when I think of Tom Brady, I think of 20 years under a mushroom cloud <laughs> because... I've talked about this. He's an, he's a different person these last two years than he was in New England. New England, he didn't talk. Mm. He didn't take stances. He wasn't on social media. He didn't do anything. And now he's overexposed. Now he's everywhere. But in all those situations, he's very vanilla uh, in his comments. Yeah. You know, the one thing about Aaron, and I'm obviously partial, you see my helmet there. Yeah. I just think Aaron's honest and open. I think the more there is so little of that right now with superstars. You know, I look at Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's fine, but everything he says is a cliche. Right. And everything Tom Brady has said usually is a cliche. And Eli Manning and Peyton Manning, although there's some, their personalities do come out on that ESPN thing they do. Yeah. But Aaron is honest and it gets people upset. Uh, and, but he seems to be comfortable enough to say what he wants. To me, it's the most compelling NFL media there is. His, his 20 minutes every week with McAfee. Yeah. Because it's honest. I think that's what people want. They don't want cliches and PR speak. I appreciate the uh, transparency. Let's get to the rapid fire and then I'll maybe ask you a question if we have time about uh, mental health. Uh, who's your favorite player to watch when you were younger? I'm going to really show my age. A running back for the Washington Redskins named Larry Brown. Wow. He's the guy that I just idolized because he was tough and kind of sauntered back to the huddle and then he just ran into people I, yeah, we had, I, we, had doug, we had doug williams on the show also i thought you were going to say riggins <laughs> that was that was the next era but I'm yes old. yeah 
Well, you're not old. Uh, <laughs> and so now, who do you like to watch besides Aaron? On football? Yeah. Or in sport? Yeah, it could be any sport. I mean, tennis obviously was a big part of your, your upbringing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it could be any sport. Well, I'll bring in tennis because I've just had this love affair and don't take that the wrong way with, uh, with Roger Federer. I just, yeah. I, and I'm reading his book by Christopher Clary or the, the book by Clary about him. Mm-hmm. Um, just and on and off the court on the court, obviously his grace and his incredible sure. beauty, the game, but off the court, just the nicest guy. And all of that is real. You talk to hundreds of people are saying it in the books, just the most normal guy you'd ever want to meet having coffee in a, in a cafe in Switzerland, just like everyone mm. else. Yeah. So, yeah. And in terms of the team sports, um, I really am into these uh, basketball playoffs mm-hmm. and I watch a lot of it. And I think, you know, it's, again, this is a common answer, Yeah. but watching the Warriors is just beautiful basketball. There's, there's sort of a, a Federesque element to them and, and Steph Curry. It's really beautiful to watch. Well, it's beautiful to watch not just because he's transformational but he's an amazing human yeah and what he's done for starting golf programs at hbcs and doing his thesis on gender equity and i mean like are you kidding me you know it's just like the layers to this guy and just his game is oh i mean just everything and he's doing it without kevin durant again so that makes me quite happy that, you know, everyone can see now that he's actually that kind of player that he can carry a team. Uh, yeah, and the other thing about yeah. him real quick is, you know, the movement around the, these games in terms of physical movement in the court, I think people don't appreciate what great condition that Steph Curry is in. He never mm. stops moving. Right. He just, obviously we all know he just needs an inch to get off a three pointer, but <laughs> the way he just continues to move a lot, not, you don't see that with other players. No, you don't. Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas? Tiger Woods. Stanford, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jerry Maguire, remember the Titans? Jerry Maguire. <laughs> Everyone asks me about that movie. Is it realistic? And I say it is. But just imagine being in that business and having 20 of those clients instead of one. How, how tough a business that is. Yeah, we had David Meltzer on too. He was, he was great. Do you like hydro flasks? I don't even know what that is. You know, like the the things where you put the water in, you know, they're trendy now versus like a water bottle in the old days. You know, it keeps it cold for like 12 hours or hot. Yeah, I'm probably not the most environmentally <laughs> correct. Water bottles, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, there you go. Old the old school. one. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Okay, a couple more real quick. This is from, uh, you know, I do triathlon, so I support my, yeah. local, uh, my local tri shop. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, Brent Musburger, will we ever have another legendary announcer like him? Oh, he's great. He, he, when I was general manager of the Barcelona Dragons, he did our first game. Wow. We spent a weekend in Barcelona. I got to know him really well and loved him. Uh, you know, he's iconic. You know, Al Michaels is iconic. I don't know if, you know, we're going to have that, that again. Yeah. Last question. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for Brent Musburger, honestly, growing up, uh, I don't know if I'd love sports the same, same yeah, way. Yeah, that's a good point. He was just amazing. Yeah, he was synonymous with with sports, you know, along with some others. Okay, so five people at your dinner table, past or present, dead or alive, <laughs> that you that you've never met before, because you've met a lot of amazing people. Who would be at your dinner table? It would be Federer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I guess to just stay on that that theme would be Steph. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll just leave those two for sports, Steph and Federer. You know, it's, it's interesting because we're doing this podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts and uh, 
there's a couple guys that I just find fascinating whenever they release a podcast. One is a guy named Tim Ferriss. Um, just talks about, you know, life and purpose and uh, doing the right things. Mm-hmm. So I probably enjoy having him there. I'm trying to think of someone that whenever I hear talk, I say, wow, I wish I thought of that. Uh, uh, that's certainly interesting. Well, a president or an actor or an artist. Yeah, I mean, I'm really into music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up idolizing Stevie Wonder. Wow. So let's put him at the table. Yes. <laughs> and absolutely. I'm also, I'm a jazz pianist too. Wow. Um, and uh, my favorite is Dave Brubeck. So let's put him there too. All right. One more. Any females at the table? <laughs> um, we'll leave the last spot for a, a woman besides your wife. It's a great question. Um, Everyone always tells me I should ask this question in the beginning so they have the podcast no. to think about it. <laughs> Throw it no, out at the end. It's a difficult question. I was going to say one of the Williams sisters, but I'm going to think a little bigger than that. Give me a minute. I'm going to think with, um, with a woman at the table. They didn't ask this question in Green Bay for your interview. <laughs> oh, um, I love it. <laughs> I'd like it to hear a woman that has a leadership role in sports. And this is, this is the problem. It's taken mm-hmm. me so long to think of one. Right. About Billie Jean King. Yeah. And we've met, I've met her. You've so met her. Okay. Gotcha. Right. right. Yes. Um, but I guess um, we got a lot of amazing women in football, Jen Welter, Jennifer King, Colette yeah. Smith, not necessarily to the magnitude that I think you're thinking about, but you know, I think, yeah. uh, you know, our rival in green Bay, the bears were owned by the McCaskey family, Virginia McCaskey. She's seen it all. Hmm. And uh, that would be fascinating. Hmm. Well, that'd be an interesting dinner table. Yes. It would. would you bring some wine or beer or what would you bring to the, to the table? Yeah. I'm a wine guy. Yeah, uh, I'm, I don't profess to know a lot about it, but I'm sure. Um, yeah, fa- fascinating stuff. Do you want to leave anybody, uh, everybody with uh, anything about mental health or anything else that you're involved with? Uh, I'm going to put everything in there, obviously, where they can find you and listen to you more extensively and things like that. But anything, any final parting words? Really, truly enjoyed it. It's been wonderful. Yeah, I think the mental health thing, and I, I just had a uh, symposium at Villanova we probably talked about name image likeness, but we also talked mm-hmm. a lot about mental health and had some sports psychologists. I had some people that deal with athletes having issues at all levels. Um, I just think for young people dealing with mental health, we have to understand and do a better job understanding that our phones and social media are, are we're the leader. Like they don't lead us. Mm-hmm. And I know it's tough for young people to understand that. I tell it to my kids all the time, you control it. It doesn't control you. Mm-hmm. So like people say to me, oh, Twitter's successful. I'm like, no, it's not. Twitter's great because mm-hmm. I'm so active on Twitter. And they say, well, it's accessible. I'm like, it's not accessible. You choose what you want to do. To me, it's a real-time accounting of the world. It's everything I need. The right people get me to the right information. And I know Instagram's a little different in Facebook because yeah. it's a little more visual and a little more comparative of what kind of life you're leading. Yeah. visually. Um, but again, mental health, ha- you have to be in control of it rather than let it control you. Mm-hmm. So if that means not looking at your apps as often, if that means cutting out any of the people that you would be sort of body comparing to or whatever it is, I would suggest people try that. They feel better about themselves. It just 
mm. cut out the, it's like cutting out potato chips in your house. You just take away those temptations and you'll feel better about yourself. That's always been my thing. And I turn uh -huh. the notifications off. I don't have any notifications no. so that I can check them myself. Do you, do you think, last question, do you think that professional sports and intercollegiate sports have the right uh, things in place, uh, tools, so that people have uh, tools in their toolbox to navigate this mental health space uh, in a way that we, you never had to when you were younger? Yeah, I never had to. And I think I can speak for my, my day job at Villanova. We have those resources in place. I mm -hmm. speak to our 600 student athletes a couple of times a year and I see what resources they have. Mm. Um, it's more at the pro level. It's funny because 25 years ago, I hired a sports psychologist or a psychologist, not a sports psychologist. Right. And she was around our team at the Packers, but by appointment only. Mm. And now she's been hired full time, of course, as every team does. But yeah, they're getting there. And it's just, it's just mm. a recognition of what's going on out there. Well, it's great to keep the conversation going and uh, your evolution through all your chapters and your layers has been truly fascinating. Uh, I've been definitely following you for years and more recently. And, you know, like I said, listening to you in Breakfast with Champions and listening to your most recent podcast, it's uh, truly an honor to have had you join us today. Much love and the utmost respect and uh, continued success and good health to you and the family and, and the Villanova family. Thank you so much. And, and you asked about all the stuff I'm doing. I think people know about Twitter and the podcast and the column. Right. But I, I am very excited about my newsletter. It goes out every Sunday morning. I've added this premium site. I'm not trying to make a ton of money, but I'm giving people even more if you want more of me. So every day I do videos about sort of the news of the day. And then I do a weekly meeting so people can touch and feel me. Uh, and it's a real way to sort of get more of me than you can get through my columns and podcasts. And so you can sign up for that at andrew-brandt.com, andrew-brandt.com slash SBL, the Sports Business League. So yeah, I hope people join up with that. Yeah, check that out, everybody, along with his Sunday 7. Uh, that's amazing. And uh, yeah, just to, you know, be relatable is so important and because uh, it really helps people not only to pay it forward, but to let them know that they're not alone. Well, well said, yeah, appreciate you. And uh, we'll stay in touch. And I appreciate you joining me in this safe space. You know, we are an anti-racist equality podcast, but we talk a lot about these intersections that I just think are so important and to not shut up and dribble anymore. Exactly. Yeah. It was good stuff, Mike. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll, I'll tweet it out to my, my audience. All right. Sounds good. You and Sarah Spain have had the biggest Twitter following. It's amazing. You guys got a quarter million. <laughs> I mean, that's just mind blowing. I'm trying to get to 10,000 on TikTok and I'm, I'm barely getting there because. <laughs> well, you, you know, had Billis. Billis probably has a million, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's phenomenal. So I love having the lawyers on. Thanks counselor. Appreciate it. And have a great rest of the day. Same to you. Take care, Mike. All right. Thanks so much. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Brandt. Boy, what a fascinating career and life he has lived. And sometimes when you think you have it all, you realize you don't have much at all. And he pivoted and he followed his compass and his inner voice and uh, went in a different direction. And now he's the happiest that he's ever been and trying to make an even greater impact, you know, in, in his later years. So thanks for joining us again today for this incredible, incredible interview with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for sharing space with us today. We, we truly hoped you enjoyed that amazing interview. Remember everyone, Black Lives Matter. Stop the bullying. Stop the Asian hate. 
contact your local and state politicians for any inequalities for any individual or any group that's being marginalized. Also, everyone, we want to raise awareness for those individuals that are currently imprisoned for nonviolent offenses, in particular those with long-term sentences that are disproportionate in particular to those people in the black and brown community. And I want to send a shout out to 40tons.co. 40 Tons is a socially conscious cannabis brand. And they're a social enterprise using the regulated cannabis industry to fight injustice, in particular for cannabis prisoners. So check them out again at 40, the number four, the number zero, tons, plural, 40tons.co because what they're doing in the cannabis space and being a socially conscious company is truly incredible and uh, they have my full support. And also wanted to remind all of you, if you're having a tough time, you can always call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline and that number is 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. And they are available 24-7, 365 days a year. You can also always check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok. At Mike Hootner. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors. Breaking Tea, Sport RX, PSK Collective. City Lokes and Moolah Kicks, which you can see right here up on the screen. You can search them online at BreakingTea.com, SportRx.com, PSKCollective.com, MoolahKicks.com, and CityLokes.com. And if you'd like to support us at the Sports Deli, we'd love to have you either make a one-time donation or feel free to make a donation monthly, either 99 cents a month Four ninety nine a month or nine ninety nine a month. If you have uh, questions about that, send me an email again to thesportsdeli at gmail.com and I will send you the link on how you can do that. Uh, you can also find it at the bottom of every podcast on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts. A link at the bottom to support the show. Please check out our website at thesportsdelipodcast.com. Make sure that we continue the conversations with regards to three strikes and you're out and mandatory minimums, especially people that are in jail for nonviolent offenses. So those things need to change. And remember, gents and ladies, please remember to do your monthly self-breast examinations. And remember, guys, this afflicts about 1,500 men annually with about a third of those resulting in death. So we want to make sure that we do our monthly self-breast examinations, both men and women. And guys, remember to do your self-testicular examinations every month as well. Until next time, remember it takes a village. For Dr. J and Coach K, I'm Hootie Hoot. This has been a production of Hootie Hoot Productions. Thank you for joining us in the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Remember it takes a village. Much love, everybody.